What's up? What'd you get? Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. All right, guys. Well, turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 9. And the message for tonight is uh, three pitfalls of faith. Okay, and that's what we're going to be talking about. What's going on, bro? And uh, these aren't the only three pitfalls of faith, but uh, it's what we're going to pull out of the text for tonight. And um, before we before we really get started, I hope all of you are keeping up with the 21-day challenge. I know some of you may have fallen behind. I, uh, I missed a day or so myself, actually, because I got busy. But that did not deter me. I'm back on track, and I really enjoy uh, reading through the book of John and and seeing what it is that, that God has for me to share with others. It's a, it's really a blessing. A lot of people have been taking that, and that's that's something I really like to see. Um, once again, this Saturday, Shannon, my friend who I've been asking help for, she's finally in San Antonio. She has an apartment. Her house is cleaned out, but now she needs help moving in. And uh, so this Saturday, if you are available, please, please uh, get together with me. I, I could really use the help. And come help me move some things into her home and get her settled. And uh, in a year or so, she will be leaving to move, I believe, permanently to China and uh, witness for Christ there. So, um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to go ahead and read through these verses, starting in verse 5. Paul says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you, if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So, pretty short passage. Right, so we're actually going to be spending a lot of time um, looking at, at at verses elsewhere in the Bible, but we're going to take from this verse and we're going to look at what are the three pitfalls of faith that uh, that we can be encouraged by and avoid from this passage. Well, the first one is a lack of fellowship. A lack of fellowship. Okay. And I'm using kind of a, a negative view on the passage, but let me show you what I, what I mean here. Back in verses 5 through 7, Paul says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey for, uh, wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. See, what we got to realize about Paul is he's a pretty busy dude, right? I mean, we think we're busy if we have to drive across town a couple times. This dude is like traversing half, you know, a small section of a continent for the gospel, okay? He's got churches all over the place, right? He's, his ministry is, is pretty widespread, and he's being beaten and abused and attacked for it. And uh, still we see here that Paul's desire, even in his travels, even in his work, was to spend significant time with the church. Okay? And it's not like this is his home church. Right? He doesn't come from Corinth, 
right? He didn't start at Corinth. He doesn't end at Corinth. But this is where believers are gathered along his way. And so his desire is not just to know them. He didn't think it was enough just to write them letters, right? He wasn't tweeting, okay, or Facebook statusing or whatever. Is tweeting, is that a verb? Is that an official verb? I guess it is, right, to tweet? Okay. Anyways, off subject. No. He wanted to spend time with, with the church, right? And even as he traveled, Paul would ride ahead to open up opportunities for fellowship. Okay? So, why? Why did Paul, in all the things he had to do, right, in all the, the amount of churches and brothers and sisters in Christ that he had to minister to, why did he still find need and value, right, importance in fellowship? Well, we are going to pull some of these pointers from Romans chapter 1, verses 9 through 12. Okay? So, in Romans 1, as Paul is beginning his address to the church, church of Rome, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if, excuse me, by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Now, before I finish reading this, you've got to realize this is a church Paul has never even met, right? But he knows he's there. He says in, in Romans 1 that their faith is heard of all around the world, right? And Which is pretty amazing. So he's heard about this church and the things that are going on there. And he wants to uh, he wants to find a way to come to see you, see them. Verse eleven. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, the first thing that I want to point out about the importance and the value of uh, of fellowship is Paul's heart in the matter. That he longed. He says, for I longed to see you. He longed for fellowship. And as Christians, we need to, to, to build in ourselves, right, a longing for godly fellowship. In fact, what we need to do is we need to go so as far as to make time, set it aside, and build it into our schedule. Because that's what Paul did as he was traveling, as he was writing these letters. He was opening up doors and trying to build into his schedule. Um, He even says, let me see. He even said he was going to delay whatever he was doing and spend the winter. Spend the winter with the church of Corinth. You know, I like some of you guys, but I ain't trying to spend my winter with you, right? (laughs) Just being real. But uh, he was willing to set that much time aside because he knew the value of godly fellowship. All right? And we find that in verse 11 when he says, For I long to see you. And he gives us two, two major aspects, two major benefits of godly fellowship, right? The first one, he says, That I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Are there any twins in here? No twins? No? Huh? But you're not a twin. 
Okay. So you know any twins? You know any twins? Yeah. I know some twins. They look alike, right? But are they, are they the same same type of person? They are the same type of person? Really? Exactly the same? Dang, that's pretty hardcore. Okay. Well, what about the people in here? We got any duplicates running around? Everybody's, everybody's built a, a slightly different, right? We've talked many times that God has given us specific gifts. He's been given us specific talents. In fact, when God knitted us together in the womb, he had specific purposes laid out for our life. Okay? And I was uh, meeting with a young man today talking about um, biblical leadership and how important it is to know your resources because guess what? I know where my strengths are, and I know what God has has built in me and, and how God has built me to be used and cultivated within the church. But I also know what my weaknesses are, right? And there are places where I do not do well. And in ministry, one of the things I've had to learn is how to call, find and call on people, right, that have the strengths in areas where I lack. And as I've learned to do that, I've, I've seen us be able to come together and start forming this body of Christ and start building each other up and start edifying each other. And I've learned a lot along the way. Well, that's what Paul is saying here, right? In the same way Paul longed to see this church, that he could impart to them some spiritual gifts and they could be established, that they could strengthen one another, that by being with, with other, other Christians, with other gifts, with other talents, God might use you and use them to build each other up into something greater, right, than you are today, to fulfill greater purposes than you, than you could today, okay? Anybody, anybody's pretty much the same person they were five years ago, ha- ha- haven't learned anything, haven't grown, anything like that? That's good, right? I'm, I'm, I'm glad. That, would, that wouldn't be good, okay? It's the same way in our faith. God wants to build us up. And conform us into the image of our son, into uh, image of His Son. I'm sorry, I can't talk today. Okay. The second thing we see Paul mentions after he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. He says in verse 12, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and of me. And guys, it doesn't take a whole lot of time out in the world to realize that uh, it kind of sucks, right? Jobs kind of suck. Family life, you know, your family can kind of suck. People can kind of (laughs) suck, right? And it's very easy, it's very easy to be discouraged, to be put down, to feel like a failure. It's very easy to, to get in a spot where you just feel like, I don't know what to do. And there are times where you can look at a situation, you can look at your spot in life and not really see the light at the end, right? And really, Satan loves that. Satan absolutely loves that. Because Satan's really, really his only tool is lies. And if he can put you in that spot, and he, if he can make you believe that that darkness, that failure, that feeling of being lost, if he can make you believe that that is the reality of your life, he's, he's done his job well, right? 
But you know, a wolf doesn't necessarily go into a, a a pack of sheep if he doesn't have to, right? He'll just wait until one wanders off, and he'll take the one standing out outside by itself. Okay, guess what? The Bible lists us as sheep. That's not a very positive. <laughs> that's not a very positive, in, you know, image. Sheep are dumb, right? <laughs> But I'm just saying, but we need fellowship, right? God has created us. When he created man, he said it was not good that he should be alone, okay? And he's created us for fellowship. And so the Bible is very clear that we need to seek out godly fellowship, that we can build each other up, that we can impart spiritual gifts to one another, and that we can be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That when one is getting down, we can lift them up, right? I know one, some of the best times in my week are when I get to, to spend time with brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to share the word. Now, before I move on, I do, want to, uh, I do want to make note that I did say godly fellowship. Okay? Godly fellowship. Because there's a lot of people you can spend time with, and it's not my definition of fellowship. Okay? Hanging out, let's just separate. I don't know if this is an accurate thing, but let's just go ahead and separate the terms hanging out and fellowship, okay? If we're going to use the word fellowship, when I use the word fellowship from now on, I want you to understand that I'm talking about time spent. What are you laughing about? What are you thinking of, huh? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I want you to think about time spent with a purpose, right? Time spent with a purpose. That is fellowship, Because even amongst Christians, if we're not careful, we can spend time together and easily, easily slip into things that really aren't doing us any good. Okay? So I want to just go over a quick list, right, of what we need to do in our lives to to avoid this pitfall of, of lack of fellowship. And that is we need to long for godly fellowship. We need to to look to make time on our schedule for it, okay? We need to build one another up, strengthen each other with our gifts. We need to encourage one another. And we need to understand our purpose for fellowship, which is accountability, right? Confession, as we already mentioned, encouragement, edification, okay? That is the purpose for fellowship. And if you spend a significant amount of time with another Christian and you're not growing together in your faith, right? If you're not building each other up, and this is just my opinion, so you can throw rocks at me later, but you wasted your time. And that's how I feel. Yeah, Steve's back there throwing stones already. You know, and I, ha- I had to speak with a young man today and who is a really honest, he's a habitual liar, you know, and I love the guy. Not, not <laughs> I love the guy, but he's a habitual liar. And I had to call him out on it. And, uh, Basically, I ca- if I can't hold him accountable and I can't trust what he's saying, what basis do we have for friendship? None. None. And I had to I had to tell him that, you know, and uh, he seemed to take it well. Hope he did. But you know, if we can't hold each other accountable, right? If we can't confess our sins to each other, uh, if we can't share our faith, encouragement, and build each other up, then we're not brothers. So we need, to, we need to use our time wisely, right? Because the time is short, the Bible says. 
So the first pitfall of faith is lack of fellowship. The second pitfall of faith that we find in 1 Corinthians 16 is in verses 8 through 9, where he says, uh, he's already told these Corinthians, I want to come to see you. I want to spend time with you, right? I want to build you up. But in verse 8, he says, but I will tarry. I will wait in Ephesus until Pentecost. Well, wait a minute. If fellowship is such a big deal, if he's so eager to see these people in Corinth, why is he going to wait until Pentecost in Ephesus, right? Well, he gives us a pretty simple answer. Verse 9, for a great and effective door has opened to me. A great and effective door has opened. You see, Paul longed to be with the, with the church of Corinth to, to empower them. But God opened the door of opportunity. And so he took it. It's that simple, right? So the second pitfall of faith is missing or ignoring the opportunities that God puts in our lives. See, Paul was the type of person where he wasn't willing to dismiss an opportunity to exercise his faith or uh, to dismiss an opportunity to do the will of God for anything or for anybody. In fact, there was a couple of times where he was so eager to do the will of God that he, when he wanted to, to take the gospel to Spain, he said, I tried and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. And you know when the Holy Spirit's got to hold you back, you you on fire, <laughs> right? Because I don't have, not every day, Holy Spirit comes out like, bro, you need to calm down, right? Usually he's like, come on, bro. Like, I think you've been on the couch long enough. But <clears throat> Paul wasn't willing to miss those opportunities. And we need to transform ourselves. We need to be in a mindset where we are always looking and hoping for an opportunity to be useful to God. And you know, I've shared this with you many times, um, but the Bible says you do not have because you do not ask. Right? Anybody familiar with that verse? Anybody? Okay, so I'm not lying, right? Okay, cool. Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. What really pushed me out of a Christian who was hungry for God into what I would define as ministry was a simple, a simple daily prayer. Actually, it was two things. The first one was a simple daily prayer. Lord, use me every day, probably multiple times a day. Lord, just you. I don't care how. I remember being in the shop at Ingram and saying, Lord, if you told me to quit my job right now and move to Wisconsin, I would do it. I just need to hear your voice. But, Lord, I really don't want to go to Wisconsin. <laughs> I'm not just saying. But, I mean, I, I just had that much of a desire. I will do anything if you will just use me. And the second thing was, because I was praying that prayer, I was going places, and I was looking, and I was waiting, and I was longing for the opportunity to be used by God. And the outcome was, he used me, right? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, the, the end of the chapter we read uh, just a couple weeks ago, he end, uh, Paul ended the chapter was saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, and then he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Now, when he says abounding, what do you think that means? Because he's not saying, like, just continue doing, right? Like, just keep on living out your mundane little life and saying, praise Jesus, and you'll be good. No, 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 abounding. That means always growing, always doing, always 
doing more in the name of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Right? We need to be looking and longing for these opportunities. And trust me, I know probably more than anyone that opportunities are all around us. Okay? We just have to be willing to take them. And so I have a couple of examples of you, uh, for you of, of some of the opportunities that maybe you're missing or opportunities you could be taking. And the uh, first one is prayer. First one's prayer. How many of you believe that there's power in prayer? Man, I believe it. I don't pray every day just to waste my breath. Yeah, I know it. There you go. I see. I like that. Move up front. I like you. You a star student. <laughs> I know there is power in prayer. It is what fuels my life because we have a faithful God, right? We have a God who hears our prayers, who answers our call. We have a God who speaks. But if that's true, church, why is it that when we pass by these people on the street, right, when we pass by these people hurting, the easiest thing we could do is stop and say, hey, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And we don't do it. We don't do it, right? The easiest, most readily, uh, most ready opportunities for us to serve Christ, to lift up his name, is to pray for others. Okay? And I want to take you to 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. Sure, go ahead. All right. Just boys, there you go. There you go. That's right. Just pray for him anyways. First, yes, sir. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Paul tells us, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in you. And if that's God's will for us, man, that's pretty simple. That should be the easiest thing for us to do, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing. ceasing. Golly, I can't talk today, I'm telling you. And in everything give thanks. A second opportunity that we might be, we might be missing out on, things that are, are you know, putting a block in our, our faith, or our growth in faith, is worship. When's the last time, um, let's see, have any of you had the opportunity to worship God today? Like a real solid opportunity? Everybody's hand in this building should have went up. Right? Every You got, from the time you wake up to the time you fall asleep, you have the opportunity, really the privilege to worship God. Right? And one of the most amazing, transformative things I've done recently was learning that when I'm in my car driving to work or to wherever I'm going, to just start, just stop whatever I'm thinking about and just look out at the world and just start praising God for everything. Everything. The trees, the weather, my life, my wife, my family, my finances, right? My calling, everything. Just start, just not even asking for anything, just thanking him. And telling him how good he is. And just declaring the truth about God. And that's what he loves to hear. That's what he loves to hear. Right? And we're in a constant state where we have that opportunity. We miss it. We ignore it. 
right? We ignore these opportunities, okay? And uh, also, to worship him with our lives. Simply living a life where people can see Jesus in us. Romans 12, chapter 1, is a definition of worship. To live your life, to give your life as a living sacrifice. The, new, uh, the NIV calls that, um, what is it? Our good and reasonable worship, I think is what it says. But I want to read to you uh, Psalms 119, 62 through 64. It's one of my favorite parts of the chapter. And in Psalm 119, the psalmist says, At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. I was praising God right there. How many, how many of you wake up in the middle of the night every now and then? Not sure why. I woke up like three times in the middle of the night last night. That's why I'm like half dead up here, right? How many of you t- take that time to praise God? Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> um, it's an opportunity, isn't it? Man, don't let that pass by. One of the things that was really cool, and again, I've probably already shared this. I'm turning into Pastor Mark up here, but that's all right. Is uh, when I was in Romania, I was just so blown away about what God was doing and, and what he was showing me and how he was working through things. And the guy I was with, it was like he literally prayed without ceasing, like just about everything. And he would just start praying out loud, and you just have to, like, catch up with him. Like, yeah, 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 I'm with you. You know, he just start praying. Ambulance goes by, he starts praying. You know, just everything. And uh, which was cool. I liked it. I, I dug it, you know, but. Um, one night I, I had just read this verse not too, not too long before I went to uh, Romania and I remember being in Romania and waking up actually I was in Transnistria which is a Russian owned state inside of Moldova there's armed Russian guards everywhere like, it, it doesn't even show up on Google Maps when you, when you look it up it's crazy right and so I'm in this place in this pastor's house and uh, I wake up in the middle of the night I have no idea why and I'm like wide awake and I remember this verse. And since there's all this stuff, I just start praising God. Just right there in my bed. And of course, I'm doing it in my head, but I'm just praising God, praising God. As soon as I start praying, Georgi Kazaku, who's on the bed next to me, wakes up, doesn't know I'm awake, and starts praising God out loud. I'm talking about like 2 in the morning, right? And we're sitting there, and he has no idea, but I know. We're sitting there praising God together for no other reason than God woke us up in the middle of the night. And that was freaking cool. Right. The next opportunity that we need to, we need to be um, alert about, that we need to be looking for, right, is the opportunity to serve. And Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Well, that's a pretty good start. I like liberty, right? This is the land of the free, baby. You have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. How many, how many of you people know some people walking around the streets that, oh, well, just God loves me so much, I can do whatever I want. He's going to forgive us anyways, right? Might as well just roll up. Let's do it. God ain't going to murder me. I mean, he ain't going to send me to hell. I mean, he's, he's too loving, you know. I don't need to do all that Jesus stuff. I mean, psh. 
That's crazy. <laughs> Man, you got people pointing at you, bro. You need to deal with that. You need to deal with your boy back there. Um, but the scriptures say, yes, we have been called to liberty. We have been called to, to freedom. But it says, don't use that freedom as an opportunity for your flesh. That's been crucified, right? But through love, serve one another. Serve one another. You know, and it's interesting. We can go back and we can talk about all the amazing things Jesus did. We can talk about all the miracles, right? All the signs, all the wonders. We can talk about the words he spoke the sacrifice he made, his death on the cross. We can talk about all these things. We can talk about how Jesus created, was actually the one who created the heavens and earth because he is the word of God. And in the beginning, God spoke. But really, if you step back, all those things, every aspect of Jesus' life was fulfilled but in this, but through love serve one another. Because he didn't receive anything out of that. It was all in service to an unworthy human race, right? So as Christians, as followers of Christ, we should be eager and longing to serve others, knowing we have liberty, we have freedom. We have the freedom to serve people and be filled with joy doing it. And know that we are building up reward in the kingdom of heaven. Okay? The next opportunity is the opportunity to give, to give, to be charitable. And uh, the, the passage I grabbed for y'all is in Galatians 6, 7 through 10, where Paul tells us, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap, or uh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart therefore as we have the opportunity let us do good to all especially to those who are in the household of faith and we know from matthew chapter five no chapter six i apologize matthew chapter six jesus says and when you give don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing right what does that mean well, let me, let, me, let me illustrate. Don't be worried about how much you got. Don't be worried about if you can afford it. If God tells you to give, just give, right? Why? Because we can trust in his words that what we sow, we will reap, okay? And when we give, we have a God who is faithful that he can provide everything, everything we need. And just like last week, I'm going to make this point. I'm not saying if you... Send some pastor on TV your 50 bucks that you're going to get 100 in return. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm saying that you have the freedom that when someone is in need and you feel that urge on your heart, you feel that pull to give, and you know, I should give, but man, that's all the money I got. Or, but man, that new video game just came out. Or, you know, wh- I don't know, whatever, I don't buy a whole lot of stuff. So whatever, whatever your, your Jordans, I don't know, right? You have the freedom to say, you know what? This last $20 I got, you can have it. Because I know my God will take care of all of my needs. And that right there, if you speak those words to someone and they see you pull all the money out of your wallet and give it to them, that is called witnessing. 
Simple as that, right? And those are opportunities that are all around us, okay? Finally, I got one more, and that is the opportunity to witness, okay? And let, let me ask you, we've talked about the opportunity to pray, the opportunity to worship, the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to give, and now the opportunity to witness. How many of y'all are thinking about times you had this opportunity and you completely walked past it, right? Or had the opportunity and just was like, well, that's not for me. I had an opportunity today. First one I took, so I'm good with that. It's a 50-50, right? I had another opportunity today, this dude, Timothy Mata, who is, uh, this dude is whacked out right? I think he drinks demon juice for breakfast. I'm serious. I'm not, it's not a, why are you laughing? It's not a joke. But, uh, I was sitting with Vincent at lunch and I was, I was waiting. Uh, we, we just sat down, we were about to talk and I saw the dude behind me and, uh, I could have pulled away and went and talked to that guy, but I kind of was like, well, you know, in a minute. And then he ended up leaving before we were done talking and, uh, I could have caught him then and I didn't. And so I waited until after our lunch was finished, and then I decided, you know what, I need to go see if this guy's still here. And maybe, maybe I didn't miss my opportunity. But I did. He was gone. You know, he was gone. And uh, that was an opportunity where I could have witnessed to a man and possibly, possibly opened up a door to offer this man freedom. Right, freedom in Christ, because I'll tell you what, he is quite definitely oppressed. But I want to read you Second Timothy four, one through twelve. In Second Timothy, Paul charges uh, charges us, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, which is like encourage, with all long-suffering and teaching. All long-suffering. Who does, who, what type of people would fall into a category that we would need to be ready in season and out of season to convince, to rebuke, to exhort, and to teach? What type of people? Everybody, right? It doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It doesn't matter who they are. They all need that, that work. They all need that ministry. One of the things is when I go out and when I evangelize, it's kind of odd, but most of the people, obviously not all, but I'd probably say half to two-thirds of the people I end up talking to, I don't know if it's just God's will or just Kerrville, I don't know, but end up being Christians, they end up already being Christians. But is it, oh, you're, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, okay, well, well, you're good then, right? No, 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 no. Very often I find that these Christians I, I get put in front of, they have struggles, right? They have hardships. They have, they're, they're going through things. We were at, uh, who was with me that night? Jacob, somebody, I don't remember, maybe Stephen. Anyways, there was a woman, she had her two daughters at the table, and I asked if I could pray for her. That was it. I just gave her some pizza and said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for your daughter? She said, yes. That was it. She didn't give me any information. We started praying over this woman. And when we said amen, she is in tears. Just, she's just bawling. Right? 
I have no idea why, right? No idea. But whatever we prayed about that night, God was there. And God did something in her heart, right? Last time um, I was there and there was a man who is a Christian. But his wife is leaving him. You know, he uh, started hanging around the wrong crowd and ended up not really on drugs, but a, for a while kind of got back into it. And that's what caused a rift in his marriage. And he had nobody, you know, and he was just sitting there, you know, just lost in anxiety and worry. And I was able to witness with him and, and buy him some food and, and give him some hope. And you know what? That's what God calls us to do. It's not all about being someone's Superman, right? Seeing someone come to, come to Jesus right on the spot. That's great. I would love to see everybody I talk to come to Jesus. I'd love to see him come to Jesus again. I don't even care, right? But God has different plans for us sometimes. And we need to just be willing and able to, 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 to find those opportunities and whatever God leads us to do, to do it, okay? But I also, I don't want to burden you too much with, oh, it sounds like you got to stand on the street corner and preach the Bible, which I would love for you to do, by the way. But, uh, but it could be as simple as this. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus meets a demon-possessed man. And in verses 18 through 20, after Jesus has freed this man, he's cast out the demons, and the, the townspeople come to see what's going on. They see this man sitting clothed in his right mind, talking to Jesus. And they were afraid. And they asked Jesus to leave, knowing that they just witnessed a miracle. They asked him to leave. And so as he's getting on this boat, this man who was demon-possessed, it says in verse 18, And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, simple, simple, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And Jesus departed and began to, or and he, the man departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for them or for him. And it says, and all marveled. All marveled. See, we're missing, guys. We are missing opportunities to witness. And we have this false uh, image of evangelism. We have this false image of witnessing that we have to have, you know, some fancy words we go through, right? We have to have some system. And I got it. You want a system? I'll give you a system, right? But it's not about a system. It's about Jesus. It's about who he is and how he's real in your life. And I got some advice for you. You want to start opening up your life to people more? Just find people to talk to. doesn't matter who they are. You see someone sitting alone at a table? Sit down with them. Ask, can I sit with you? You know what they're probably going to say? Yes. You know how many people are going to tell you no? Maybe like one or two out of ten. I know because I do it all the time. They're going to say yes. And just start talking. You don't have to go, you going to hell. You need Jesus right now, right? That's not how you have to start a conversation. Now, if you do, yo, man, whatever. You know, God be with you. It might work, okay? But you don't have to do that. You can have a normal conversation with someone. Because you know what happens when you have normal conversations with normal people? Normal struggles and normal experiences come out. Struggles and experiences you have had. But because you're a Christian, you have been able to see how God has worked through those things. 
So as they start talking and telling you about their life, you can relate. You can say, man, you know what? I had an experience just like that. I was going through this. But then, man, God came into my life, and he started doing these things. Or, man, I started praying, and all of a sudden, you know, my prayers were answered. And, you know, and that's why I go to church, and I got these friends over here, and we pray together. And just, and suddenly you're witnessing. Because what? You're just telling people who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. And that is simple. So here's, a, here's kind of a side note that I'm going to challenge you people to do. I want to challenge you. Every single you person you talk to, I don't care if they're a stranger or if it's your Aunt Sally, right? Every person you talk to, I want you to talk to them like, they're, that, like you know for a fact they're a Christian. If you were going to meet with me or Patience or Jacob or Vincent or Stephen or someone, y'all were going to talk, especially if you meet with me, I'm going to bring up Jesus. We're going to be talking about Jesus somewhere along the way, right? Whatever you would talk about, whatever type of things you would say in, in a Christian environment, just start talking to the person like that. Why? Why not? Why am I going to change because, they don't, because they're not saved? That's crazy. That's crazy. But if someone was to ask me how my day was that wasn't a Christian, I began to tell them about how blessed it was and what God was doing in my life. Or Vincent, someone asked Vincent, hey, man, you doing all right? And he said, man, I'm blessed, man, because, you know, I've been down and out, but I've been praying. And he started, Vincent started, man, this is how God has been faithful. And now this dude's like, what the heck is this guy talking about, right? But he's hearing the truth of who God is. He's hearing the truth about Christ. It's that simple. And guys, we are missing opportunities, right? So the first pitfall of faith is a lack of fellowship. Second pitfall of faith is missing or ignoring opportunities. Our final one is not preparing for opposition. How many of you expect to, to not have anybody ever dislike you? couple of you okay well well then you're doing you're you're doing all right but let me let me talk to you about something you know what the reality and in fact you know what the one of the major promises of the christian life is persecution jesus promised persecution if he says if you follow me that's a paraphrase if you follow me the world will hate you it's going to happen, right? Now, if that's true, that's something we should be prepared for, right? Something we should be prepared for. Nobody joins the army and skips boot camp, right? Like, give me a vest and a gun. I'll be good in warfare. I ain't even tripping. Mm, No, I don't think so, okay? And there are several people in the Bible that are listed as people who fled from the faith because things got hard. Right. We got people like uh, Mark. Paul says that as Paul and Barnabas were were journeying uh, wherever they were going. Right. And they were doing the work of the Lord. That after a certain part uh, point, Mark actually turned back and left them. He didn't want to go any farther. It got too hard. And so it actually became that when Paul and Barnabas were traveling again and Barnabas wanted to take Mark the second time. Paul was unwilling because he had deserted them and they actually split ways. Then we have Peter, oh, Peter, who told Jesus, I will die with you, my Lord. By no means will I forsake you and let this happen. Jesus says, dude, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And sure enough, when they took Jesus and the persecution came and then Jesus was being led to a cross to be murdered, 
Peter fled. Not only fled, but denied him three times. And when Jesus came back, they f- what did he find Peter doing? Anybody know? Fishing. They found him fishing. He had spent three years in the flesh with Jesus the Christ. And when things got hard, he turned around and went back to his own life. And Jesus had to come again and restore him. Right? We need to be, <clears throat> we need to be prepared for opposition in our lives. Okay? If we are only willing to serve Jesus when it's convenient, you're never going to do it. You're never going to do it. And if you feel like you're having a really good service in your life and it's really convenient, you're probably not, uh, not being very fruitful. Right? And if our plans of Christian service, evangelism, or, or, or whatever, I don't care what it is, if your plans of serving Jesus are imagined with ideal outcomes and easy conversations, you will quickly abandon them. Okay? That's just the truth. People aren't nice, and they hate God. That's the reality we have to understand. The world doesn't just not know Jesus. They hate him. The world hates him, right? And I want to show you, um, I want to show you a passage about Christians who were dealing with such things, okay? In Hebrews chapter 10, this is probably Barnabas writing, but we really don't know who this guy is, right? But he's talking to these people and he says, verse 32, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly because you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great Reward. So we have them struggles, sufferings. They were made a spectacle, reproach, tribulations, right? And were even in other people who were mistreated. And he says, have joy. Don't cast away your confidence because it has great reward. He goes on to say in uh, chapter 12, uh, verses 3 and 4, For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls, you have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, what kind of encouragement is that? Like, man, what are y'all tripping about? Y'all ain't, you haven't resisted the bloodshed. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, right? You still got all your limbs. Don't complain. You're doing all right. Jesus got murdered, so, I mean, you're doing good. So what if they killed your mother? It's whatever. Okay? But he's... He's talking to people not only who have experienced some very severe persecution, but can expect more. Right? And he's trying to consider Christ, who him himself endured such hostility from sinners that really, guys, we can't imagine. So when things become hard, look at Christ and, and realize whatever he got in some measure, rather great or small, you will receive if you're truly following him. So... Consider Stephen, who was stoned to death. There you go. So consider these things, lest you become weary or you become discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. 
Stephen, uh, when you were at Hastings and you tried to go witness to a guy, you tried to go tell him your testimony, how did that work out? What, what happened? And walked away, right? Now, he didn't get persecuted, right? He didn't punch you or spit at you or anything like that. But uh, was that a little discouraging? Yeah. And things like that have happened before, right? It gets a little discouraging, right? But when we compare those things next to what Christ has done and how he served, we quickly see, like, that's not nothing, right? That's nothing. But we have to realize if that were, even something just like that where people just ignoring you and walking off, if we're not not only um, prepare, or, uh, expecting but prepared for that, knowing it's going to happen before it happens, of course we're going to get discouraged, right? Of course we're going to get discouraged. Verses 12 through 14 in, in Hebrews 12, he writes to us, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and your feeble little knees, right? And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without, without which no one will see the Lord. Basically what he's saying is after all these things, man, you're giving up. Your hands are down. Your knees are weak. He's saying you got to make straight paths, Right? Make straight paths and allow what is lame, what is useless in your faith, the things, whatever discouragement has come into your life, whatever pitfalls you fall into, whatever lies you've accepted, you need, to, you need to put that away and let it be healed by Christ so you can make straight paths and pursue peace with all people, right? And holiness without, with, without which no one will see the Lord. And see, Jesus himself made it pretty clear and in fact commands us to be uh, to be ready by telling us that if we're going to commit to Jesus, we are actually first having to commit to an expectation of opposition. And I'm going to paraphrase, guys, because we're doing a lot of reading. So in Luke 14, no, I'm not. I'm going to read it. I'm sorry. In Luke 14, verse 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And it goes on in like manner. But basically he's saying, if you're not willing to give up even your own family, yes, even your own life for me, you're in the wrong business, dog. You can't be my disciple. He said that, right? Dog part? Doesn't that mean? Okay. And he says, and whoever you is not willing to bear his cross. Now we, see, we live in a nice churchy age. So when we talk about picking up our cross, we get all metaphorical with it. Jesus wasn't. Jesus wasn't. Peter was crucified. And Jesus told him, you will stretch out your hands for me. And he knew exactly what that meant. If you're not willing to bear your your cross for me, you can't be my disciple. So if that's the reality we should expect, as we're making plans, as we're making plans to, to, to go out 
and to speak about Christ, if we're making plans to pray for people, to worship uh, publicly, if we're making plans to go out and serve and just, just to live as witnesses for Jesus, you need to make those plans knowing that someone is not going to like it and that someone is going to come against you. And you need to plan beforehand. How are you going to, how are you going to handle the situation when you still start telling someone about Jesus and they punch you? But that's, that's something that you seriously have to consider. How am I actually going to handle that? Not what am I going to say, uh, how I'm going to handle it. How am I really going to handle that? You know, yesterday, was it yesterday? I don't even remember. I'm so tired. Yesterday, I got a, I got a message from someone, and uh, there was a man, 40-year-old man. He's talking to himself. He's seeing people under his bed. He locked the door and said, no one's getting me out of this house unless the cops drag me out. And they were, he was supposed to stay at this person's house for one night. They were just trying to help this dude out. It's been four days. And they, they, could, not, they could not get this person out of their house, right? And they don't necessarily want to call the cops on him because they're trying to help him somehow. But he's starting to get violent. He's just whacked out of his mind. So they call me and say, hey, you know, could you help us out? And I'm like, sure, you know. And so I got enough information to know what I was dealing with, and I, I drove over there. And uh, I had to spend a lot of time in prayer. A lot of time in prayer. Lord, lead me. Lord, give me these signs on on what's going to happen, how to deal. And I had to spend a lot of time in prayer because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to tell this guy to leave and he was going to want to fight me. I didn't know if he was going to go all crazy, you know, try to fight me and my three friends who weren't there. I don't know. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And uh, in that time of prayer, I had to run through some of these scenarios in my mind, though, and, and, and I had to decide before I got there, if this or this or this does happen, how am I going to react? What is actually going to please God? And that was kind of a rough, you know. Now, thankfully, this guy who was so insistent and wouldn't leave for four days when I got there was gone. And I was there for half an hour, and he was nowhere to be found. So I just had them put the, his stuff outside and lock the door. And then when he showed up later, the cops came and picked him up. And it was that simple. Praise God, right? Prayer works. Prayer works. Because it could have turned out way worse. But I had, to, I had to confront that reality. And I had to, when I planned, I couldn't just plan, oh, I'm going to go talk to this guy, and I'm a, I'm a good Christian, so he's going to come along. You know, everything will be good. No, no, no. I had to plan for opposition, and I had to plan for how I was going to deal with that and still bear witness to who Jesus is. Because about six, seven years ago, there wouldn't have been no planning. There would have been the, oh, he's going to leave. And it would have been, he's going to leave. And I would have had fun doing it. But that's not Christ. What is that? That's pathetic when I think like that. When I think about boastful things, that's pathetic. We have to not only expect it, we have to plan for opposition in our life. Okay? And you take, a, you take an unprepared nation. So you've got this nation, you know, they're prospering, they're doing well, they got their gates open, you know, all their harvests are full, everybody's happy, they ain't planning for anybody to attack them, they're good. They've been good for the last 10 years, right? They don't even have an army, they're just chilling out. It's all good, man. All our neighbors like us. We got a bunch of food, right? But then the day comes, the king sees their land, he says, you know what, I want that land. And this king's prepared, and he goes, and he comes up, and this nation who is just... All they planned for was peace. Now suddenly the enemy comes against them. 
destroys them, takes all their, takes all their, uh, all their treasure, and leaves. Or it might be that this nation who thought they were doing so well when they saw conflict from afar, instead of being prepared to handle it, they got scared and they ran. And so whatever treasure they might have been able to build up, they left behind. Right? But if this nation who was hoping, hoping for peace had a wise leader and had plans for war, had plans for opposition, who built up his army, who was fully clothed in the armor of God, though he was planning for peace when he saw that army coming from afar, he had the tools to deal with that, to overcome the enemy. Or in his wisdom, he met them and, and determined, you know, terms of peace. That's the same way in our lives. If you're not prepared as a Christian for opposition, one of two things are going to happen. Either the enemy's going to come and overtake you, or every time you see conflict, every time you get even a small inkling of fear in your heart, you're going to turn away from the faith. And whatever reward God would have given you for that service, you're going to just leave behind because it was uncomfortable, because it was scary. I like to be scared sometimes. You get all adrenaline-y. Right? We need to be prepared for opposition, not allowing the enemy to steal our treasure in heaven and not fear it because we know John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have overcome the world, right? We need to always be looking and hoping for opportunities to do God's will. And we need to strengthen ourselves and others through Christian fellowship by doing as we are told in Hebrews 10, 25. Very simple verse says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, but exhorting, building one another up, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Amen.